Hello and welcome to the 345th episode of the Crate and Crowbar, a podcast about PC gaming. It is Thursday the 22nd of October on the date that we're recording this. I am Alex Wilshire and tonight I am joined by Marsh Davies. Hello. And Greyhelm Smith. Hello. <laughs> I've just outed your the my pet name for you, Greyhelm. <laughs> did you did Watcher you... <laughs> on the frozen wall? Was it you that came up with Greyhelm, or was it? I don't even know. I think it, it might was have a, been a jointly uh, created mythos for you, which you are the, the sole <laughs> protector of games journalism, standing stoically against the frozen hordes. Still true though. Yeah, it was true then. It's still true now. I'm the I'm the last <laughs> man <laughs> stood upon the wall. Hey, I got some news. Mm-hmm. I was really interested to see uh, the mm-hmm. stuff about Alexandria Ocasio Cortez streaming Among Us on Twitch the other day, the other night. Like they got, she got to um, uh, a peak viewer figure, which is almost the the highest uh, Twitch has ever recorded, and that seems really cool to me. In fact, a lot of stuff that's happening in the PC world, PC gaming world, is. Um, Really cool at the moment. Lots of just weird, surprising stuff. Actually, I'm kind of piggybacking uh, a bit on um, what um, a, an article that PC Gamer put up um, last week, in which they pointed out there's just so much that's happening in you know in the kind of leading uh, in sort of the mainstream of PC gaming at the moment, hmm. which you just never surprise uh, you know really you never really expected like uh, the popularity of Among Us. Um, uh, Full Guys, super colourful, bouncy game that's being really popular as well. Um, just lots of things that I don't think you could have predicted would be what a lot of people are playing. Right, uh, it's not just on PC first-person shooters and German strategy games anymore. It, no, it's not just bang bangs. It's not just stuff which is like currently being marketed either. Like it's yeah. word of mouth and stuff taking on a life of its own because i don't know if among us has been covered on the podcast already but it's a game from like two years ago that suddenly overnight because a streamer played it a couple of months ago just took off the developer woke up one day and their game had suddenly sold thousands of copies a game that they released two years ago to relatively modest success and the first game is now suddenly so popular that they've actually cancelled the sequel in order to go back and start developing updates and stuff for the first game again because um, it no longer makes sense for them to release a new game when their yeah. one from two years ago is suddenly selling. And the, the other the other thing I've been thinking about is Blazeball, which again, I don't know if that's been covered in the podcast. It can't have been because I listen to the podcast or I'm on the podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's like collaboratively developed fantasy baseball game in which the audience changes the rules through betting on fictional baseball matches and winning currency and but also it's this vast fan fiction universe around it um and again that's like a developer that's been working on a puzzle game for years and years and years which they've just announced is coming out soon and it looks nice um where the cards fall i think it's called and Blaze, yeah, yeah, Blaze, I played yeah. it on. Um, I played it on um, iOS. Yeah, very, very, totally different kind of game. Yeah, polished sort of story puzzle game. Whereas Blazeball was like a little side project they were doing for fun that just popped off all of a sudden. It's 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 a weird time. Yeah, and I think it. What I was sort of 
like I think the, the, the sort of the test of it is this the idea of it being used as a I mean that it's gaming is recognized as a place to talk to people about politics and about how to appeal to people it being a legitimate uh place for discussion you know I think that's it's a it's a real mark of that change is anything else happening in newsland that's it no that's all <laughs> the news there is <laughs> I've got to apologise to you, Graham. Why is that? I'm going to apologise. I haven't actually. <laughs> Tom hasn't. Uh, Tom Francis hasn't uh, uh, asked me to represent his apologies to you. But I'm sure you know he's. You know he's. He'd, he'd ask me if he he knew I was doing this. Um, we got a few details about Noita wrong. Um, the day after we talked about Noita last week. Um, I played it, and uh, we said that um, it doesn't. Ha- you know, the, the, we're only if only the uh, the starting um, ones were uh, randomised, it'd be much better. Uh, and indeed, they are <laughs> in one point zero. Uh, and I'm sure we probably got some other very minor things wrong about it. But that's that's good enough, isn't it? As a as an apology. Well, see, my problem's not with the minor details; it's with the sweeping arc of your sentiments about the game. Because you were quite you were quite down on it, weren't you? I wasn't. I wasn't. I was just nodding, nodding at what Tom said. I'm I'm going to hang Tom out here. <laughs> the one who's not here to defend himself. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I played Noita a ton in early access, particularly towards the end of last year. I was playing it a couple of hours every day. And it sort of took over Spelunky's mantle as my my daily comfort game for a little while. Uh, and then I put it aside and I've just been coming back to it now for 1.0. And I think it's brilliant. Um, so like, uh, all right, maybe you weren't as down on it as Tom was, but what, what are your feelings on it then? Can you summarize your feelings for those who haven't listened to last, week, last week's episode? So last week we discussed some um, frustrations with its chaotic nature um i think kind of things like oh kind of cast my mind back to what we were just talking about like some of the the fact that you can't prepare very well um the fact that um you're unable to test um some of the ones that you come across um that was something that i've kind of felt for a while the, you know, you get these sort of crazy effects and things, and to, there's not much it, it, the, the opportunities to test it out before committing to that wand and, and going into the the next dangerous place. Um, uh, I can't I can't remember because I I hadn't played it for a, for quite a while. Oh, I'd had one go at it just before the 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 one point release came out, and um, uh, and I only played one two games and and. And I, I wasn't really sort of up with it before we talked. Afterwards, I did play it more and it did felt much tighter. And I, there was more variety in the things that I was seeing. Um, and actually, I got a really good run the first one I did. <laughs> but then I did quite badly quite a few times. But um, yeah, yeah. I kind of, I didn't have a very strong opinion, I have to say. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll punch against your you're not very strong straw man opinion that I'll construct for you. Um, but so like Noita is, it's a roguelike 
and to look at it, you'd think it was a roguelike platformer. Um, and you're going, you're going down into procedural dungeons, and its kind of hook is that every pixel is simulated. And what that means is that uh, the world around you isn't made out of polygons or immovable chunks. Um, it's all individual pixels that can crumble as individual pixels or pour in the case of water or catch fire. Um, and then the world is extremely reactive. So you can find a big vat of oil and shoot a fireball at it and the oil will catch fire and the wood around it will catch fire. And if there's water nearby, the water will start to evaporate from the heat and steam will rise up to the top of the cavern so that it will reach the top of the caverns and it will start to condense against the cold stone and turn back into water and start to drink down. And, and you get this kind of like cascading effect. But I just described it as a roguelike platformer, but it's not really a platformer. And I described it as being about going down uh, into dungeons, but it's not strictly speaking about going down into dungeons either through procedural levels. Um, I, I, I think there is almost a mismatch because I, I had this, I had one of the dumbest thoughts I've ever had <laughs> playing this game last week, which was <laughs> no, it is not a roguelike. It's much more like rogue than a roguelike. <laughs> <laughs> go on <laughs> well like if you say that if you look at it it looks like a platform game but it's not a platform game there is no fall damage or jumping puzzles or any challenge to movement really in the game you start the game with a jetpack and you can fall from any height um and the exit to any particular level is at the bottom of that level and so it's because you fall quite quickly and there's no fall damage relatively easy to get from the top of the level to the portal at the bottom, which is going to take you to the, the safe zone, the shop, the holy temple it's called, in between stages. Um, and so like, but you look at it and you think, oh, it's going to be a bit like Splunky, but it's not. It ch changes where the axis difficulty is quite substantially, but I'll come, I'll come back to that. The other thing is I'm talking about it in terms of levels. You're going into a level and you're going to get to the bottom of it and then you're going to get to the next level. But it's not like Splunky and that those levels are distinct like discrete um areas it's actually all set within a single continuous world and so you don't need to go through that portal in order to get to the next level you can actually tunnel through the rock to get into the holy temple that's just an area underneath or you can bypass entire levels or biomes within the game in a way that you can't in Splunky. or the game world as you play, you'll discover is actually wider than it is tall. It's not a game about going down into a set of procedural dungeons because you can at the start of the game, when you're at the entrance of the dungeon, just go, no, I'm just going to stay on the surface and I'm just going to walk left for a really long time or I'm going to walk right for a really long time. And it is, there's much more going on in the game than it initially appears. And I think this is what, like, the, the, the main argument that I disagreed with when you guys were talking about it. And I'm, 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 I'm poking fun. Like you didn't say anything that was wrong. <laughs> um, but like t Tom was talking about um, the ones as being this sort of a procedural oatmeal, like the ones are the, the other major system of the game. As you're going through the dungeons, you're finding these magic ones. They have spells on them and the ones have these stats, which are like, recharge rate, how many slots they have, how fast they are firing, what their mana limit is in terms of the spells they can fire, that sort of stuff. But the stats, there's a lot of them, and they're all 
to two decimal places. So it's like yeah. you're comparing a 0. <laughs> 0.98 against a 0. 0.92 across six different stats or something like that. And then they might have two spell slots with two different spells on it, or they might have 12 spell slots with 12 different spells on it. And so there's a lot to take in and a lot to learn. But that's where I think the axis of difficulty of the game is actually meant to be. It's not meant to be a game where you measure your progress in physical distance through these levels. It's a game where you measure your progress in knowledge, essentially. And that's why I think the wands work for me, because it's a game where it's trying to create a magic system that feels like magic does in good stories, where magic is dangerous and uh, unknowable in some way, or, or obscured at least. So it feels like some um, forbidden knowledge that you're discovering. And like that sort of ties into the thing you're saying of not being able to test wands. There are actually safe way of testing wands, but that in itself is a thing that you have to learn how to do. It's a game that wants you to die to your own experimentation with the wands, essentially. It wants you to puzzle out different spells and put together a wand in such a way that you, as soon as you cast it, you blow yourself up. And like taking on these terms, this is like I, I read a lot of comments about the game where people say, "No, I I, th I think what happens a lot is people go, oh, it's a game like Splunky. It's about making progress.' And they go through the first world and they they find that quite easy. And then they get through world two and well, suddenly it's it's really difficult. And then they get to world three and then they die instantly. And that maybe took them like fifteen, fifteen minutes. And they're yeah. just like world three just seems impossible. It's just nuts with how many enemies are in it. It's got one hit kill snipers, all this sort of stuff. You hit this wall really quickly, but the way through that wall is just to explore more and to start to try and teach yourself these magic systems. Because once you learn how to utilize the magic in the world and certain places you can go, you can actually get incredibly powerful in the game quite quickly. Like for example. If you go left from the starting area and climb a tree, there is an egg there that every time you throw the egg, a giant worm comes out of it. And the worm can be three different sizes, but that is a worm which uh, can then tunnel down into the world and wreak absolute havoc across world one and take care of a lot of threats and physically things for you. Um, but at the very least, it, even if it's not a thing you can directly control, it's a way of giving you a power which is very impactful upon the world such that it's gratifying even if you're dying and going back to the start within 60 seconds you can summon a giant death worm and like there is another way quite straightforwardly to get an ability which causes you to explode constantly every few seconds um and explode with the size of one of the game's bombs that used to be like one of the starting ones would drop a bomb and it would like destroy a big circular area and have a devastating impact. And you would only have three of those bombs, but there's a relatively straightforward way once you know how to do it of within 10 minutes of starting the game, just being exploding nonstop every 15 seconds so that the world around you is just constantly being destroyed. Um, but it's about discovering that knowledge and the experimentation and the mistakes you make along the way, rather than yeah. the Spelunky thing of getting through these puzzles. And that's why I feel like, you know, if you were to take those ones and the all the stats of them and maybe like more cleanly categorize that stuff as you might in say something like Diablo or something like that, where you 
you know, you color code them or you give them fixed traits or names or any of that sort of stuff, I feel like you would instantly crush down that kind of the breadth of it that you're exploring and puzzling out and that feeling of the magic that you get from that system into something that would just feel like a an RPG mechanic that you're you're with a natural power progression that would be much yeah. less interesting to me. I think it's like I I totally get what you're saying and I actually I love that uh promise about it. I I think that I haven't felt it because um because of the 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 kind of the trousers that it's dressed in because I think as soon as you give um something a uh like a, a two decimal point value mm. I think for me those are very short um, trousers. Right, they've just become very short trousers and that's just <laughs> embarrassing for all. No, the it's the fact that um, for me that makes me interpret it as a science rather than a magic, and yeah. and therefore that it's suggesting that it should be knowable to me. I think that actually, if they're dressed it up with weird symbols, which say, "Hey, you know, take the time. You can learn what these symbols will be, but they're always going to be at arm's length from you." That might actually serve that feeling a little bit better, like because you know. The stats, you know, you get like recharge time, this, this, and the other. They're very precise. They're very, very specific as well. Um, and I think it's the it's the the language that it's this stuff is being told in. I think language that actually, I think that at your level, you're, you know, you've kind of gone beyond. You don't really look at it because it's you know it more instinctively, and that that's where I'm struggling to get to. I think. You know, I guess I think of it as a medieval science. It's alchemy, essentially. Like, and so, and so it's like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, there's there's a thing about decimal points that makes it feel to me like math. It feels like, like I should know. Yeah, it feels like it. It I should know, and like, and in fact, you are kind of programming with the, the slots and how. Yeah, I mean, know, surfacing all water. of that information is just doing it in a super unhelpful, opaque way. I, like I, I do agree with you, Graham. I think the game is is far more. I mean, it's, it's a non-linear experience, both in terms of its geography, but also sort of in terms of your intention as a player. In comparison to Splunky, like you are meant to just be going out and experimenting and sprawling in different directions, and that is the purpose of the game, rather than a, a level by level attempt to progress. But uh, I, I don't, I don't think I agree with you about how the the magic is presented. I feel like that is. That is very much like an artifact of early access where these things hadn't been quite ironed out. And then, <laughs> you know, this happens to a lot of early access games, which which hit um, success early on, is that they end up being developed for the existing pool of players who, by their self-selecting nature, are willing to overlook quite a lot of UI problems and other kinds of jank. Um, and then they lose sight of the the eventual, you know, the the original aim of developing for a larger broader kind of uh, audience where which might not appreciate some of those sharp edges i think like the the way that you compare different ones is it just feels it doesn't feel like mystery and magic to me it feels finickety and statsy in, in the kind of the worst kind of rpg way but none of that really impinges on my enjoyment of the game because i think uh, like you, I just like its kind of freewheeling, exploratory nature. Um, even if I would probably change the way that it demonstrated weapon power. 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we should ask the developers because, yeah, I would assign intentionality to the way the magic system works. It doesn't feel to me like an artifact of the early access system. It feels like this is the kind of system they wanted to create and they realized yeah. they could get away with because of the fun, physics nature and how quickly they can give you that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is I really like the game. <laughs> And I think you're both wrong for not liking no, no, it as much as I do. I, I really like it as well. I mean, I, I don't. I think I might prefer it to Spelunky Two. I mean, they feel very different games. It doesn't feel fair to mm. compare them, really. But like, um, I feel more satisfied not making progress in Noita than I do not <laughs> making progress in Spelunky because I feel like progress is is just the aim of Spelunky. Um, and obviously, along the way, you can have thrills and fun, but it isn't um it isn't so much the point as getting further is whereas in noita i can just entertain myself by trying something weird that i haven't uh, you know thought to try before it, yeah it's not much less strict it does have like good a good world and good enemies as well like i talked about the reactivity of the environment but i i like the the big slime monsters that shoot slime balls mm. at you but if you shoot them with your starting wands they kind of like a water balloon with a little hole in it they, the, the slime inside them starts spurting out all over the world <laughs> and if that gets on you that hurts you and, and that sort of stuff um and it does i it, do i really do love that i really do love the the feel of of it and the reactivity of it all it's the there's always a surprising reaction to the things you do. It maintains a lot more of those those old games like NetHack and stuff like that as well in terms of mm -hmm. there is a, a really robust potion system in there as well and there is an actual alchemy system and how you can combine those different liquids and carrying around flasks with you and that sort of stuff and you can mm. eat pretty much anything that you come across. So you should kill... <laughs> If you kill one of the giant death worms, for example, you can then just go over and start eating its blood, and that like confers <laughs> certain status um, buffs and debuffs <laughs> upon you. Um, and you can drink, drink certain things, and then uh, get a stomach ache, and then start to vomit. Um, if you drink things that are bad for you, and then your vomit is like a physicsy thing in the environment, so you can go throw up into a vat of oil and watch the your sick float around on the surface of it. It's, it's... <laughs> Does being covered in your own sick um, retard uh, fire? I don't know. I suspect it would, yeah, douse the flames. Uh, mm. I, haven't, I haven't tested that theory. <laughs> um, certainly, like, one of the... the the most powerful item in the game in some ways is just a flask filled with water. And like one of the, one of the things is that you start with a, a random flask with some sort of liquid in it, but it's, it can be different kinds of liquid and every experienced player with the game just instantly pours out whatever's in their flask and then goes, goes and finds a puddle of water to fill it up with. Cause yeah, if you get caught on fire, if you get covered in slime, if you get covered in any of the various liquids in it, you just want to spray that water all over yourself to wash it off. So that actually, that, that highlights something that I do feel a little nervous about in this game, which is that sort of you've got this incredibly open, freewheeling world, you know, rich with all these different interactions and things, but there are definitely very much better ways to play. Um, so there's the the this all important water um you know it's such a an important thing that uh, just give it to me at the start you know if if 
if I've got to go and just do, you know refill it myself, why am I why am I not just getting it right at the start? Um, and then there are things like sort of the path that you take, and um, there sort of I think that getting the worm at the start means a little detour at the start, going left rather than right and up the tree. You know, there are lots of sort of things you have to do or should do if you want to do a well there seem to be a lot of things that you should do in order to have a good crack at a good run um and i think that's true for almost all roguelikes um this one because it takes a long time to do stuff in general um and you know the walk speed the size of the world you're looking at kind of minutes of repeated actions um to just that you would do by rote at the start of a of a um, a run, and I, I don't. That was definitely seemed to be true during early access, and I'm kind of wondering whether that's still the case now, or whether it supports more expressive, more choice in in kind of good strats. I think, like. Certainly in terms of the water flasks, everyone is still doing the water flask thing. It actually, it originally did just start you off with a flask of water, but then they randomized it um, when they randomized the other starting items as well. So like certainly everyone is now just still going and getting the water. I do think it's broad enough in terms of the ways in which you can approach it um, that it could feel as if you need to do a certain set of things, but actually you don't. And there are many, many alternatives you just haven't discovered yet. And like that was part of what I enjoyed about the early access process of, of playing it was that sense of the, the possibility of the space, the possibility space of the game continually expanding as I broke through walls that I thought would have nothing behind them to discover whole new worlds and whole new routes and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it is it is definitely a game that has a lot more in common with like and, and that was true of NetHack and Rogue and that sort of stuff where it was you were sort of closing off options as you went along as you got down to floor thirty two and got killed by being paralyzed and then gnawed by a, to death by a gnat a rat or something like that and then realizing <laughs> oh I just always have to be carrying you know a teleportation scroll or a, a cure for paralysis or you know that sort of stuff. And it does have that similar rhythm to it, um, but I don't mind that. Like that's just yeah. part of the process for me. Well, yeah, because like if if you weren't learning things, when you learn things, you're learning a good way to do things, you know. And you know, learning is a is a process of narrowing down in many ways. I think like like they've done several things in the one release, which I think do help. So, I mean, it used to be good that the daily so it's got a daily challenge and one of the nice things about it was you could actually play it as many times as you wanted and it was the same seed every time so actually it became quite a good way of practicing because you would discover something just kill yourself with it within four seconds of discovering it but then be able to go back and find it again now the daily is just a one undone thing just like Splunky's is but they've also introduced a practice mode and a mode in which um, it spawns you at a random place within the world and with a completely random full inventory. And so like, if you just want to mess around and experiment and see things you haven't maybe been able to get via your own skill level, then it will just drop you in world four with four 
powerful wands and <sighs> six potions and just you, off you go and play, essentially. That's so cool. <laughs> I had no idea that was in the game. It's no, it Marty mode. Yeah, that is my mode. <laughs> uh, I think I think it was something they just added for 1.0 or at least shortly before. They've also got like, this wasn't in when I was playing the early access release last year. So it might, might not have been a 1.0 edition. It might come before that. But there's now like a screen which shows your progress in terms of what enemies you've seen and what spells you've discovered and that sort of stuff. And so it's a, a reference manual, essentially, that you can go in and, and look around all the, all the stuff you've discovered and start off work. First of all, it gives you a good sense of progress because you're filling in this big sheet and it's got empty squares for the things you haven't discovered yet. So it's in some ways like manifesting that knowledge progress you're making but it's also just good for going and, and, and checking things that maybe you saw in the game but didn't quite understand i really like i mean i, I love the way it sounds it, the the um the music in it which is obviously dynamic and ramps up and ramps down is really it's really brilliant just incredibly sparse and atmospheric and then kicks in with sort of almost prog-like drumming when uh, things start to <laughs> kick off. But I also really like the, the way it looks. And in fact, something occurred to me when I was watching your um, your Daily Death uh, playthrough of it for RPS, Graham, is that it, ha- it, it operates at a sufficiently low resolution, but with enough character that you can interpret and project different, um, in completely different body types onto the enemies than each other. So you identified some things as spiders. Um, and I don't think of them as spiders. I think of them as these little globular things with, uh, <laughs> with tiny little limbs. Um, <laughs> and I, I've seen other people talk about some of the animals in it, um, which may actually, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think some of them have actual Finnish names and I haven't bothered to translate them. So there may be actual kind of canonical descriptions of what these creatures are, but there's like a sort of little, uh, little dude who throws potions um and i in my head he's like this kind of uh cloaked uh rodent man creature with a a lantern hanging off a stick over his head but (laughs) but this is based on maybe seven pixels so (laughs) you know it could be something completely different but i I, that really kind of evoked for me the, the i mean the original rogue you know which is all ascii and you know there was a huge amount of sort of imagination in those early games uh, or filling in the blanks, basically, with your imagination. And uh, uh, this somehow manages to capture that as well. It's nice. It has. It also has really good terrain. And, uh, like, you, you don't think about this, but it's not just, like, sp- sorry, Spelunky is tile-based, and so the ground underneath your feet is only ever a square with a repeating texture on it, like, repeated along. Um Whereas the rock around you and the dirt and that sort of stuff have these sort of natural formations um, where you can look at the platform underneath you and see the way in which it's generated stone and then some metal and then spread dirt across it so that you're actually seeing almost like a cut cut through of an underground world in a way that you wouldn't get if it wasn't a pixel-by-pixel game. I'm really impressed with Mm. the kind of like the texture of it, given that it's all individual pixels, that it's having to work that stuff out. And it's just, I mean, at its most basic level, it is just like a wonderful toy. Like there is something, like there's a childlike delight for me of being able to cast a spell that makes it rain, that just creates a cloud in the sky and and rain Mm. falls down and you can create a puddle. And, you know, 
at first you don't know how that's particularly useful because it's you can't really use it to drown enemies or anything like that. Um, but then you find like a lake of lava and realize that you can spawn the cloud above it in order to turn the surface of the lava into stone. And, you know, like I've done that so many times now, but it still makes me just, it's just a little bit delightful every single time. Yeah, that is cool. I want to, one of the little things about it that I like is the way that it resets your health to max between every level. That just is this sort of one little bit of mercy that I just value every <laughs> every time I play. You know, like I find I find roguelikes quite stressful because that's the way they're designed. You know, that you're meant to have this sort of slow ticking down of um, health, which you're kind of managing like a resource. And this, you know. There's, you always have an option. Like if you get badly hurt at the start of a level, well, that I'll make a beeline for the exit then, you know, I'll be as safe as I can. Um, because I know that at the end of that, I'll be uh, fully healthy again. There always seems like there's a chance. There's always a plan that you can try and pull off, um, which, you know, the standard roguelike where your health is consistent, uh, kind of, you know, it has its own values, but uh, it never fails to stress me out. <laughs> it's a game, yeah. It's a game that's generous in unexpected ways. You know, you don't expect yeah. expect it to be generous when it's a game where you can also just find a wand, cast it once, and immediately blow yourself up or chop your own head off. Um, but then, <laughs> yeah, it balances that out. I think quite nicely. It's not. Yeah, it's I just not remember a- the de- the death I had in my good run, my first good run on one point zero, and uh, I. Uh, <laughs> I went near a lake uh, and uh, I just got instantly electrocuted and I still don't know why. (laughs) There was nothing around there that looked like it was electricity making. I just died instantly (laughs) and that was that. (laughs) You can can get like spell effects on yourself that like cast out electricity uh, enemies when they get close to you, for example, yeah. automatically. But then if you stand on a puddle of water, you'll just electrocute yourself. Exactly because yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Stuff like that. What's your favourite one, Graham? <laughs> um, uh, suddenly I'm thinking of Jeffrey Tupin. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, uh, there are ones that, or there are spells rather, that just drill through matter, like big orbs that just consume um, any material in front of them and allow you to dig enormous tunnels through the world. Because like, that's the other part of Noita, is it's sort of like if nobody ever developed 3D graphics and instead people just tried to make more and more advanced Worms games, which I suppose Team 17 did in a way, but because um, it just has that thing where you can tunnel through pixelated terrain. And the, I really love just being able to fire a giant orb that just digs a tunnel through the level below me, then the level below that, then deep into the rock, and then just keep going, just keep going into the mantle of the earth until you inevitably hit something interesting and strange you've never seen before. That's a, that's an enormous power. Like, I mean, that's like that's a power that you don't normally get in games. They don't normally let you destroy the level in the world to this mm. extent, break the frame, in in that way. 
I did find a, a particularly uh, delightful combination of perks because as you um, as you go through the levels, in between the levels, as you say, you have a chance to recoup your health, but you also have a chance to sort of purchase. Uh, we purchase ones, but also s- select one of three sort of magical buffs each time you pass through this chamber. Um, and one uh, is it gives you, I think it's called vampirism. Uh, obviously, you re- re- as the name suggests, you regain health from uh, touching blood, but it also reduces the size of your health bar substantially, um, so you are more vulnerable. But then you can also uh, get a perk which causes enemies to bleed more, <laughs> which is, I, I don't really know what the, the, the function of that is otherwise. Oh, I do. But, I do but, know. <laughs> but in this circumstance, I managed to get both of those. And I, I was in in this sort of underground uh, complex, sort of pseudo, actually, I won't say what it is because it's a bit of a, a spoiler, I suppose, for the theming of the later levels. But there's loads and loads and loads of enemies. Um and I had some other perks as well, so I was I was I was pretty uh, pretty tough. But these enemies were just dying all around me, getting minced up, and their blood was just filling every single chamber <laughs> to the top that I was in, and I couldn't be killed because I was just con- <laughs> I was just just buried in blood. Basically, it was, it was, it was wonderful. <laughs> you can't do things like that if you get that as well. You can then get a flask of blood and then use some other spell in order to dig little holes in the ground and then fill it up with your flask and then stand in it before particular fights. So it, like, it, like the world is bendable enough that you can sort of plan and craft the environment around you before you trigger certain events. Um, yeah, I love this game. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been playing, Marty? I've been playing two games, actually, one of which um, you've played, Alex, um, uh, and you've talked about it on the pod before, so I won't talk about it for long, but it's... Um, uh manifold garden oh yeah which is fantastic it's come to steam now because i think you played it when it was on the epic game store Um, that's right yeah but it's just been launched on steam a puzzler set in uh an other world of uh what would you call it when uh, when things are replicated ad infinitum what's the word for that fractal fractal uh, fractaline yes a fractaline world where you can change gravity and uh, all other kinds of uh physics breaking shenanigans and it's just i mean it's it's beautiful and uh, i i really like the puzzle design um but above that just in comparison to a lot of puzzle games since portal um which have been you know fantastic puzzle games but they haven't sort of upset one's sense of reality in the same way that portal did you know portals this a game where you can conjoin two distant spaces uh by you know with, with a portal and that's that that just changes the way you think about the, the the three-dimensional world in a really exciting thrilling way and this is this has that same kind of scintillation to it because it's just so otherworldly um and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think uh, that was missing from a lot of the sort of Portal successes, which were like, you know, or even Portal 2, you know, which is, I mean, it, that Portal 2's big idea is you can make services bouncy. And you're like, well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not quite the same as conjoining two distant parts of space through a wormhole. But it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's very, very cool. I liked it. You I liked, liked the, it as well, didn't you? I did, yeah. And I, I liked the wordlessness of it. Um, like, it's a really... Um, like the the puzzles are very uh, non abstract. Uh, what's the word? You know, uh, uh, created especially for it. Like they're mm. not natural. What's the word? 
eggy. <laughs> they're very eggy. They're very eggy puzzles. Um, you know, they're all very designed, um, and the thing and the way things work is very des- designed. But because mm. they're in this mad fractal world, and because you're never told what to do, that so that you discover yourself uh, how things work. Um, usually from a standpoint of feeling you don't know anything, um, that really gets around that feeling. And you, I just found that very, very rewarding, where you understand the shape of a thing that you're falling through and then walking across. And how the hell does that match up with when I fall over there? And, oh, my God, I see how that all fits together. And now I realize what I'm meant to be doing. And now I know how to get to the next thing. And I know the, the pattern to be looking for. Like, it's mm. all very self-discovery-based. I love that. Yeah, it's nice when you, you you're confronted with something completely mind-boggling, and then are able to take the things you learn from that to apply in quite a rational way. Yeah, it's, and uh, it, without losing its magic as well. Yeah. Like you discover the rationality in it, and it still remains mad maths weirdness. <laughs> I mean, just the I mean, just the, the the nature of those environments, these giant sort of fractal palaces, basically that you're walking through, which spin off into infinity. Um, I mean, it's just uh it's just incredible space to embody and it's it's i'm reading uh piranesi at the moment oh wow yeah i was Um, i I was thinking about that yesterday yeah i won't say anything about it because i think it's one of those books where um it's probably better going in without knowing knowing the first thing about what it's about but um the two things sort of complement each other quite well i think um yeah yeah fab game anyway i really enjoyed that um a game I've not enjoyed as much, <laughs> uh, but I've been playing as well, is Lucifer Within Us, um, uh, which is... I don't know what... Yeah, what is, what is, what is that? It is a, it's a sort of techno-occult detective game. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know why. I mean, I just, you know, you're waiting for one techno-occult detective game, then two come along at once. They're <laughs> like bosses, aren't they? You know, I've just finished Paradise Killer, and this is sort of I'm very thematically... Similar, not quite as sort of neon punk. It's much more kind of somber. But um, you are an exorcist investigating murders at an abbey in some kind of future, maybe. The setting is sort of it's sort of ambiguous until the very end of the game, uh, at which point you sort of just get this huge amount of exposition gracelessly shat upon you. Um, but it's, uh, it is sort of nonetheless a really intriguing setting. I, I did quite dig it. Um, it's obviously a very religious culture that you're that you're in sort of partly christian there's lots of christian terminology but it's also sort of inflected with this weird cybernetic aspect such that you sort of you can infer pretty on that maybe the spiritual realm that people are referring to as the ether is actually sort of maybe some sort of tech substrate that souls or minds can be uploaded to on death but it's also sort of the means of connecting and powering certain electronic devices and it's the medium in which god is meant to reside and also uh, from which demons emerge um actually <laughs> one of the weird things about the game is that the main voice actor pronounces the word demon as daemon um uh. we, which which is you know we, as perennial mispronouncers of important things it's not for us to correct them but it did mean that every time she was like i must speak the daemon's name and so banish him i sort of immediately pictured her casting daemon alburn out with like yeah. a glass of <laughs> psychic energy um, get out stop singing about middle england christ <laughs> 
Um, yeah. Is that is that a reference? I mean, this is I don't know if this probably might might be wandering to spoiler land, but by insisting on pronouncing it Damon, is that making a conscious uh, reference to like the way that uh, Damon is like demons are spelt in computers? You know, like the word for the little computer program that's just running on your machine, like D. A E M O N. Yeah, think. I mean that's how it's spelt in the game as well. But I mean that right. is that I'm um, supposed to be pronounced demon uh, yeah. anyway because it's uh, or, or you know, possibly diamond. But I mean it's never it's never pronounced like that. It's I mean I like ether. I, ether is spelt the same way, and you you say that with an e. Anyway, uh, it's it's not important really. I mean, yeah, I, park I, life. Park <laughs> life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the point is someone's only fucking gone and died. Haven't they? <laughs> and, it's a, and it's a bad murder. It's a bad murder. The head's been blown bad... up. Oh, yeah, it's been blown oh, blown all the way up during a what appears to be some sort of cyber coronation ritual uh, involving an, uh, a big organ. Um, not that kind of organ, Axe. A playable <laughs> organ. Um, musical. <laughs> so musical. it is that kind of organ. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, apparently, when there's a murder in this world, it usually means that somebody's mind has been corrupted by uh, uh, Damon, uh, Pop's <laughs> premier Mockney, um, who is <laughs> who's feeding off and cultivating some inherent vice that the the, per- the murderer has, like greed or envy or something like this. And so you need to sort of investigate the scene, and you, in a top-down third-person view, and you find physical evidence and you interrogate suspects and compare their testimonies and identifying consistencies and accuse them of lying and things. And what's the, what's really good about Lucifer within us is that your investigation in your investigation is in comparison to paradise killer, it's really intensely structural. Like it's really designed. Whereas in paradise killer, which I, which I also really liked. Um, you're more or less sort of just going back and forth between characters until new dialogue options appear. But here, when you talk to an individual about their testimony, the actual events as they purport them play out before you from this elevated camera viewpoint. And you, can, you get this timeline that you can scrub back and forth through like a, like a video. Hmm. And the timeline is broken up into these different actions. So, you know, they say, oh, uh, then I went over here and, and I checked this out. And, and then I spoke to so-and-so. And those two discrete sort of events will be broken up into different actions um, that you can then sort of uh, click on and ask about and then compare with other people's testimony at the same point in the timeline. So you can go and talk to somebody else and their timeline will suddenly pop up right alongside the, the other person you spoke to and you can see where they sort of what you know you can, can then compare when and where they say they were and you can pick out inconsistencies um and you can click on any suspect any segment of any suspect's um timeline and ask another person about it and you can also ask them about evidence you've discovered and about each other more generally um and then if you find something you don't think stacks up then you can sort of click the suspicious part of the testimony and the timeline and then you can challenge it um and then you need to uh present some contradictory thing from the ui whether that's another part of somebody's timeline or whether that's a, a, an item of evidence um and then you sort of present it in your refutation um and then you, you know you rattle them or not anyway so i mean it's a really really smartly designed um system 
And there are like UI irritations with it, like tooltips overlapping and kind of minor stuff like this. But it's I think it's a really clever and cool way of systematizing your investigation. Um, when when it said when you um, present a piece of evidence, uh, like is it a bit? I mean, it, the thing that popped into my head is the um, you know like the 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 adventure game where you're given the situation and. And I think actually, sort of, um, uh, it's a bit like um, Phoenix Wrights, where you've got to I show the, the the specific piece of evidence which refutes or supports an argument. And often, it's a I found it a bit of a leap sometimes, or I wasn't on the wavelength of it. Like, did you? How is it presented in this? Like, is it a bit looser? Like, what what evidence are you using to support your claims? Um. Well, I mean, to, to give you an example, you know, I mean, if if somebody says that they were somewhere, uh, and somebody somebody else says that they saw them somewhere else, um, then uh, you click on you sort of click on the part of the uh, original person's testimony where they they state that they were somewhere, and then you challenge it, and then you just click on the other person's testimony that contradicts it. Oh, right. um, and but you have a lot of freedom about what what items of sort of knowledge you are your you are presenting there as your um, refutation because you have quite a lot of different. Uh, it's not just about finding mismatches in in the um, timelines. It's also you you might have found things in the environment like a you know. A, uh, a PDA somewhere or a scalpel or something like this. And then you can, you, you can present that as evidence as well. Um, but um, it is. So I, um, it, it really, I mean, it all works really well for the, the opening investigation, which is almost a tutorial. Um, but the later investigations have, have quite a lot of problems. I think it's, it's almost, it's not really a fault. I don't think of the, the game design. It's, it's the quest design. Uh, just hasn't taken account of the game design grammar it needs to work with so there's there's often there are often things that you really want to ask about but there isn't an obvious way to do it like sometimes there's an object in a weird place for example and there's no reason for it to be there and you want to ask the character whose object it is why is it there but if you ask them about it they just say they just describe it you know and you're like well how can i how can i how can i get that out of them and it turns out you have to contradict to challenge some part of their testimony by presenting the object of evidence but actually if you think about it that object isn't a contradiction of what they say you just end up getting more specific detail about like, what they were doing at a particular time anyway there's a bunch of instances like that where the, the sort of question the game needs you to ask isn't really expressed by the, yeah. the puzzle logic that they've they've assembled for the the solution and there are also some straight up kind of errors like in one instance it's critical to count the number of times the thing has happened and the game just gets that wrong <laughs> you know uh and sometimes a, a piece of testimony that that successfully contradicts another isn't actually the part which is in in conflict it's hard to describe but like in a timeline you know somebody's one person's action might span 30 seconds for example and in another person's timeline, that might be two 15-second actions. But actually, it's only the second 15-second action which contradicts the first person's testimony. But you have to click on their, the first 15 seconds 
that's I mean this is really hard to explain without showing <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah yeah and and sometimes like it's asymmetric so if two people's testimony conflict you can challenge character a with character b's testimony and they'll just say hmm, i don't see what that's got to do with anything but if you do it the other way around the other character sort of breaks down and says you're right i'm lying you're like well <laughs> the first character should have acknowledged at least there was something going on there it feels like they've built something this this really robust mechanical framework but they haven't necessarily always found the game to fit it um mm. uh, and so, some characters just lie about stuff that makes no fucking sense at all which i guess is like a trope of crime fiction but it it really sort of fucking takes the biscuit here and in, in times and it's very short as well which isn't really a, a complaint i normally raise it's just it, there's just three investigations including the tutorial um but the game's i mean the game's only 15 quid and it's got this really cool mechanic to it and i think that that means it's good value from that perspective but um in terms of it that's it, like it, fully exploring what it yeah. sort of starts to do exactly it doesn't really get time to flex its muscles and it yeah. and it also doesn't i mean it doesn't end up really nailing a mystery with the the kind of elegant design it's set up to facilitate them but also plot wise the entire game feels like it's just teeing something up and then it just ends and uh I don't know if they plan to release new mysteries for it episodically or something like that, or whether this is it for that game, or... I don't know. It's, it's slightly weird that it ends uh, so abruptly, so shortly. I think, I mean, I think it... I don't know how long it would take you to play it, but it, I think the first... The tutorial maybe, maybe took me half an hour, and I think the third quest took me an hour at most, and the second one only took a long time because I was flummoxed on how to how to ask a question that I knew was the essential <laughs> question, um, which isn't you know that's not really a really especially satisfying way of uh, upping the playtime. Um, yeah. Hmm. In other words, hmm. It's nice that so many people exploring this kind of area of um, gaming. Even Graham is Graham, you know, like sort of yeah. investigative yeah. <laughs> um, storytelling stuff, you know finding different expressions of it, like steadily maybe finding better and better ways. It feels, it's a, a tough nut to crack, I think, but I think whoever does like will make a lot of money because <laughs> every other medium basically is just completely obsessed with murder mysteries. Um, I'm glad we're getting more of them in games anyway, even if they're not I, all hitting I, the mark. I, I'm not sure. Like I, I mean, I, I agree. I don't know. I, I've, I wonder whether the popularity of the cozy kind of Agatha Christie murder mystery is the ability to sit back. I think the, the gaming equivalent is very sit forward, and you have to pay attention, and you've got to do the puzzles. And I think while you do really what while you're watching Miss Marple, you do try to figure out what's going on and follow along and make guesses. It's but it's very sit back stuff, um, very relaxed. Um, I'd, I'd love you know, as, I, as this isn't really refuting anything other than just like I'm interested in whether there's a difference, like whether the, the same impulses that make you want to watch Morse might uh, also lead you to, to play a game where you are Morse. 
Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I think I see your point, Alex. Yeah, like it. I mean, I, I do when I watch murder mysteries, and I watched quite a lot of them. I am always kind of like trying to work out who it is, and the the most satisfying. But you're being ones kind of always are... fed it, if you sort of mean like that thing is to you. You're kind of being fed the information. You're not like you know that there isn't going to be a stop point. <laughs> it's the 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 show's going to continue and end. Mm. Whereas with a game, like you can feel that point where I literally don't know where who to ask next. What have I missed? You know. Which is kind of I don't know part of the mystery, uh, like, like the 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 kind of the the fantasy of it. But I don't know. Is that is is it the same? I don't know. I th- I think games do make a mistake when they think of murder mysteries as oh it should be a puzzle game. Therefore, when no, I think they should be narrative games first and foremost. And like yeah. you know, you kind of want a visual novel, but with a bit more agency but that doesn't necessarily mean obscuring all the information unless the player can like unlock it through actually having to be clever <laughs> in any way um i think that i think there's way there are games that that still find ways of spoon feeding narrative to the player while making them feel involved and like 80 days is a good example of that you know yeah that's true actually yeah I think there's a Dangan Roper as well. I mentioned it last time when we were talking about um, the previous uh, mystery game, but yeah, where which is very it's a visual novel, Frank, basically, but it has various play bits when you're kind of first person exploring a space. So you're unlocking the narrative by identifying the person to finding, and then identifying and then finding the right person to talk to. That definitely makes you feel involved. Now, there's a, there's a. I mean, I, I'm sure there are people that do like it, but the mini game that you play when you're actually in the invest in the kind of um, uh, trial situation, which comes up at the end of every chapter or something, um, I really don't get on with at all. It's sort of, it just it doesn't feel like solving a mystery to me, and I find it sort of doesn't tally up with the rest of the game but yeah the kind of the visual novel bit of Roper, i think it does scratch a lot of the you know saturday evening priro feel what have you been playing alex i've been playing a mystery game as well Ooh. i've been playing um i am dead but the mystery isn't about your death because you're the one that's dead um it's a it's a it's a very it's a very english game uh by um a studio called hollow ponds um who are behind uh wilmot's warehouse um and lots of well actually the the makers have done all sorts of things um they did uh, that they did that sneaky one the sneaky yep. playstation one yep was yep. it called which my brain has gone completely blank on uh god of war that was it ho hokum thank you ho hokum um and uh yeah like um so this uh, these games are all very very different from each other um despite having the same designer and the same artist i think the artist being um richard hogg who uses these fantastically bright colors uh very very graphic visual style he's like comes from an illustration background 
Um, and so these games are all very, very different. Uh, Iron Dead is 3D, um, whereas Wilmot's Warehouse is very 2D. Um, Hohokam is also 2D, but very kind of vectory um, style um, graphics. But Richard Hogg's style is just so graphic that they all look like they're from the same family. Like, lovely. Anyway, I Am Dead um, is set on an island, um, a very, very kind of very, very English island, very Radio 4 island. Um, And you are uh, the curator of the island's um, museum and you were dead um, and now you're a ghost. Um, Unfortunately, uh, and rather non-Englishly, the island uh, has a volcano on it and the volcano is going to erupt. Um, but in order to stop the eruption happening and therefore destroying everything on the island, uh, you have to find a guardian who is a ghost, another ghost, but has been hanging around for longer because this ghost has got to be more than a thousand days dead um, uh, to act as stay behind fundamentally without going on to the afterlife to remain as the as the guardian of the of the island um, and so you're given a series of fundamentally levels which are um in which you try to find the ghost to uncover the ghost who has not passed on to the afterlife yet um and you do that by fund- just uh, f- rooting through their stuff <laughs> basically um and the way that you root through their stuff is really cool because uh, um, you get it's it's a set of three D little views of interiors of houses and a lighthouse and a, and a park and various other places. And each of these places you can rotate the view around, um, and you can highlight objects within each space, um, starting at kind of like the room scale. And you can select a an object which might be a chest of drawers or it might be a group of of things on a table uh, and you can click on them to focus on them and then you can zoom into them um, and then you can then zoom further into them maybe inside of the chest of drawers in one of the the drawers uh, there is a um, a, 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 a case and you can then click on that to focus it and zoom in on that. Um, once you're zoomed in on an item or an object, you can slice through it, um, which basically at the angle at which you're viewing it, uh, you can, you can, you, the, the game will just cut through it, revealing a cross section of, of, of that object, allowing you to see inside things that you can't actually touch because you're a ghost. Um, what all you're able to do is to see stuff. Um, and this means that you're just looking through drawers and you're looking through uh, golf um, bags and you're looking through uh, cases. Um, and each of the objects in these places reveals a little bit uh, about the character that you can fit in yourself. There are also um, going to be people walking around or, or sort of around these spaces in which you who who will have memories of this ghost that you're looking for um and these memories will highlight an object that you're specifically trying to find in the area um and the way that they reveal these objects reveals a little story which is always voiced um should say that that uh, one of the voices uh, of a fox in fact is um, played by none other than pip our own pip hmm. uh, a fox. She plays a fox. She does. She's Is she fox. in a shard? <laughs> She's. Do you find her inside the shard. 
I, I th- there's no shard, but I think that she used that the shard very much as a standpoint for you know becoming the fox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, that um, yeah. So each of the yeah these objects that they, they, you get to hear about the relationship with the, between the character and the ghost that you're trying to find. Um, the first being first character in the first area, which is a lighthouse, which has become a, uh, a yoga, uh, hangout. Um, and the ghost is of the person who established this yoga place, this yoga retreat. And, um, and you get to find out about his background and it turns out that, well, I won't, won't say too much cause it's the fun is in uncovering it or learning it on here about it yourself. But, um, one of the, the things about him is that he was uh, a soldier in Afghanistan and that made him, little bit sad about things and and, but you know the the tone is poignant and goes to places that you wouldn't expect from some of the presentations like you can you assume that it's going to be quite cozy from from the imagery and and some of the, the voice of your character and things but actually you know it it doesn't shy away from going to places which are like less so like for this this um this this uh, uh, Afghan vet um, has a robot <laughs> who helps him run this yoga retreat. So it, it is quite a, a wide dynamic range of things that <laughs> you'll come across. Um, but I found it just just really nice, just rooting around. It's really chilled. Um, played it with my daughter for a long time, and you know we like poking around and people's stuff. And this game allowed me to do that. Allowed us both to do that. Mm. It sounds very nourishing, very wholesome. It is wholesome. It is wholesome. It was nourishing as well. <laughs> it's by Holoponds, and uh, Holoponds is also the name of a song by Damon Alborn. No. He's, wow. he's haunting our podcast. He's the looming spectre. It's complete. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dark ritual has occurred. Soon Jarvis Cocker will emerge from the firmament. <laughs> Doing a bit of spoken word poetry about... Mm. She didn't say she liked biscuits or something. I don't know. Whatever John Scott talks about. <laughs> He's come out. That, was, that wasn't you, Mike, was it? You were speaking in tongues there. <laughs> about bourbons. tongues. <laughs> yeah, bourbons. Tediously British. Ah, <laughs> uh, Britpop, eh? Should we do the dark ritual, which summons questions from the question ether? <laughs> as as seminal Britpop band Dodgy once said, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. Let's do some <laughs> questions. <laughs> I think that oh, was that how was, the song went. That was really good. Thanks. <laughs> um, I've got some questions, yes. Uh, we got one. Ugh, I'm not sure about this. Uh, it's from a fan, and they said, have you considered simply replacing Alex with his son faster and more energy? Food for thought, love, a fan. <laughs> Is this fan named Jack by any chance? I think it might be actually. <laughs> I, bet, I bet Jack would really like Noita. You'd be, be good at it as well. Yeah, I really should um, get him to upload a video of him playing Splunky, like because he's way. Uh, just to explain, um, Graham and uh, Tom Francis spend most of their waking hours uh, <laughs> uh, talking about Splunky um, in a shared chat zone uh, 
where we convene. And um, and I know for a fact that my son is way ahead of them. He knows more secrets and he's probably way better than, than the game than them as well. But that's because he's young <laughs> and has synapses which are not dulled by time uh, to the poisons we've all imbibed over our lives. Um, but he's really, really good. And I really do want him to upload a video of him playing because he's just blisteringly fast and somehow also sees most of the... Uh, most of the kind of the threats. I um, I I am very proud of myself though because last night I he he basically his his single uh, strategy is to always kill the shopkeepers and he usually dies as a result of complications leading from shopkeepers trying to kill him back. So I have um, was finally successful in suggesting that. Maybe don't kill the screen the, the shopkeepers, um, partly because it's kind of safer, but also because um, he's always just doesn't collect any money at all. And I find, and I think Tom Francis does as well, uh, find a lot of uh, pleasure in in hoovering up the money. Like it's just fun to collect stuff as you're going along, um, uh, and he just doesn't do that at all. But I managed to get him to do a run in which he didn't kill any shopkeepers. He was collecting money and had a nice time, you know, solving the fact that he needed to get an item that he needed in a different way because now he had to do it legitimately uh, by actually getting real money. That you know, that he enjoyed the the, the extra puzzle of doing that. He also get the, got the furthest he ever got, um, way deep into the game, uh, um, uh, before sadly dying. Um, and I think I can credit myself for that. So I shouldn't be replaced with my son on the show because my experience uh, is is better than his. <laughs> <laughs> wisdom, wisdom beats energy and vitality. He's just an idiot kid. Just a kid. <laughs> do you kill the shopkeepers? I know we're going back into Spelunky Land. I just want to know very quickly: Do you kill um, the shopkeepers? Sometimes I, I I swing back and forward. It depends. So sometimes I want to play fast and loose, and I'll go kill some shopkeepers. And sometimes I'm going to be really careful and sensible and and not do it. And like, there's there's fun in both. I like varying it up. It up. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need to kill. Sometimes you don't. And that yeah. therein lies a richer life. I've got a really good a re- really good strategy for doing it now, which I I learned from watching Twitch streams. For I am also young. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got another question of from uh, about about the teens uh from tom not not the a lot teens. of teens listener tom um tom writes hi questions and comments that's possibly indicated by my hail this might be more of a comment than a question in the last episode uh that is literally the last episode, uh, Leprosy Mode, uh, episode 344. We mentioned Spelunky 2's playground thing of an inside knowledge, which be- makes being part of the game community uh, of players exciting. I feel I witnessed the dark twin of this effect in Among Us, where playing with a group of players who know the game very well it feels extremely exclusionary to anyone new who doesn't know what it means to look sus or any common task strats. I haven't played uh, Among Us and I don't know what they mean. Anyway, back to Tom. Uh, My experience of this is probably enhanced by the fact that I'm playing with teenagers from a tabletop club I run that's been forced online due to the pandemic. 
Okay, I'll try to questionize this. Kids are dicks, eh? And playgrounds are cruel and unforgiving. Is this cruelness of said experiences what makes these games explode in popularity among teens? Blowing on the grazed knee from the harsh playground tarmac, Tom. Hmm. I mean, I haven't played Among Us, but I guess I see it as just a power fantasy like a lot of others. There's, there's, there is fun in deceiving people because it's the feeling of outsmarting them and getting away with it. Um, but I don't, don't parse that as cruelty as long as there is some kind of communication among the players if you're playing with friends or that you know everyone is sort of entering into that experience with eyes open like this was always the thing with Neptune's Pride for example or um, Subterfuge it's kind of a mobile spiritual successor these are games in which you betray people uh, and pull off long cons because they're they're games that can take weeks but as long as everyone goes into it knowing it's that kind of game and you're not ruining the experience for someone who's um unaware then that doesn't feel like cruelty to me but then maybe i'm I'm a big backstabbing bastard because i win these (laughs) games by (laughs) betraying everyone so Yeah, I don't. I don't know that cruelty is inbuilt into into that game. I mean, any social game has obviously a vector for uh, social malaise to manifest. So, if you have a bullying problem in your social group, then a game which is social in nature is probably going to allow that to come through. But I think in something like Among Us, I mean, whilst the the way that the game works is such that it's everybody against one player in a way. Um, and so that can feel like you are being uh, victimized by the larger group, potentially. I mean, you are a murderer <laughs> and you do get to murder everybody else. So it's, it's asymmetrical. It's like, uh, and it feels more like, um, what was that not particularly good monster game? Uh, well, actually it was all right, but it, it was unloved generally where it was a Evolve? third person actioner. Sorry? Evolve? Yes, Evolve. Yeah, I mean, oh, wow. it's more like that, where one of you is a giant monster and the other people are trying to take it down, except you just don't know which one of you is a giant monster. But um, I, I don't see that as being quite the same power dynamic as, you know, just people picking on an individual who, who doesn't have any exceptional power. So I, I, I kind of disagree because, I mean, obviously Among Us is a take on sort of mafia and, and werewolf. Yeah. And in fact, I think, you know, the, the, the person who is the murderer is actually the, you know, there's only one of you in this group. So the mass experience is actually being, um, you know, a, a, a normo. Um, and I think that the, as a result, the, when I, whenever I've played those, you know, were, werewolf, uh, my abiding memory and experience is actually about being one of the group, um, conforming or trying to show that I'm conforming, mm. um, f- wanting to feel safe because I'm one of them and uh, feeling, you know, th- and wanting to out people who I believe are not one of the conforming group. Um, and I think that, is a dynamic which which is operational in playground cruelty because i think playground yeah. cruelty is is fundamentally about i keep saying fundamentally tonight i really i do apologize but um i think that it's about learning uh, about the cut and thrust of being in society 
in a not particularly safe space. <laughs> uh, but you know that's what's going on. It's playing at at, at kind of social uh, relationships and um, testing the edges of what's what should happen, what conformity is. Um, pulling out people because they're not, you know, this sort of microcosm of of kind of greater human, you know, sort of adult human interactions. Um, mm. I think that that's, I think that's what Among Us, I don't think Among Us is inherently a toxic game or anything, but I think that that's the, some of the, why, the reasons why it is exciting to play, which are the same reasons why Mafia and, and Werewolf are exciting to play. And those games obviously are pulled out as being design classics. They are important, ludically important games, you know. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I so I, I kind of agree, but I think that there's a, the reason why is kind of what is about what it is to be human and social and kind of nasty to each other, which is what we are. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like um, you, you're right that there is that uh, conformity element amongst the the in group. You know, the people who are the villagers or the spacemen or whatever. But it doesn't feel as bad being the odd one out because sure. it is fun to be the the monster lurking in their midst, which isn't yeah. the dynamic which is expressed on the playground. Um, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it isn't fun yeah. to be the odd one out, generally speaking, on the playground. Uh, yeah. And if, you know, if I'd been a werewolf uh, when I was at school, that would have introduced a very exciting dimension <laughs> to uh, my, my social life. <laughs> I'd have just spent all day stroking your face. Would you? Mm. Oh. Without doubt. Whilst I was in my werewolf form or just ordinarily? <laughs> no, 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 no. When you're in human form, of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I see. <laughs> That's all the questions we got. That's the end of the show. Uh, you can hang out with us and our community on our Discord channel. You can find the address uh, for that on our website, which is at creightoncrowdar.com. Uh, uh, if you have a question for us for a future episode, you can send it to us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com or you can tweet us at creightoncrowbar. You can also listen to the show on YouTube, uh, which you'll find at YouTube. I don't even know. It's got a U in it. Just Google it on YouTube. Uh, the Crate and Crowbar is kindly funded by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to find out more about supporting our podcast and its spin-offs, visit us there at patreon.com slash Crate and Crowbar. I think that's all the... Is that the end furniture done? Have I constructed mm. the furniture? You've ticked off all the boxes. Have I polished it? We're sitting in it right now. Oh, have I... Put a ring uh, on the nice wood finish with a hot cup of tea. You only have. And you're gently nice. caressing my face. <laughs> I've been Alex Wiltshire. I've been Marsh Davis. And I've been Graham Smith. Park Live. <laughs> <laughs>